May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here today on this Pentecost Sunday, major feast of the church. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about this reading from the book of Acts. And the big idea is Pentecost changes everything. We're seeing a lot of changes. I'm seeing a lot of people I haven't seen in a very long time these days, so it's good. And the uh, same, same was true at 8 o'clock, saw people I had not seen in a long time. I sent Brenda Sharp out with an LEM, a lay Eucharistic ministry kit for Gretchen Cannon this morning. That's the first time we had done that on a Sunday since January of 2020. So that's a whole new, we're doing that again. If you're in the hospital, you're going to get communion. And uh, so things are changing for the better. Amen. Pentecost reversed, refers to this uh, feast that's held 50 days after uh, Passover. It's otherwise known as Feast of Weeks or the Feast of the Harvest. There are two other major feasts in, uh, in the Jewish calendar, and that's Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. But today we, we take a look at, at the Feast of Pentecost. I need to interpret this text in the light of, uh, of Acts 1, 4 through 8, reads as follows. And while staying with them, Jesus charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the meaning of Pentecost is God's equipping his church with the power of his Holy Spirit so that he will be glorified among the nations. God is equipping his church, you and me, with the power of his Holy Spirit, which came on Pentecost and indwells his people today, that he might be glorified and lifted up among the nations. Nations there is not so much nation states, but people groups, ethnos. And it went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to Ocala and so many other places. You're going to see, uh, you're going to see some pictures today from Tuesday's consecration of Christ the King Cathedral in Baharamulo. And it is really something to see, I'll tell you what. It's, it just it will warm your heart. But there we are in Tanzania. And we're, we're a part of that. We're a part of what's going on over there. It's exciting. I want to remind you that Anglicanism is three streams, three streams. Uh, we have some people that aren't, you're, you're not, you wouldn't consider yourself an Anglican, would you, Ken? Ken Dinkins is here to talk to us today about helping hands. So Anglicanism is three streams. It's sacrament, which this is just review for most of you. So from the ancient tradition of the church, which is Eucharistic, we celebrate around a Eucharistic feast with the real presence of Christ. So we look this way. We have a liturgy that we go through. Every bit of it has a meaning. We're scriptural. Scripture is uh, the authoritative word of God, authoritative for his people. We are saved by grace and faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. So we're evangelical. And we're spirit, but we're also charismatic. 
believing in the power and the, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we became even more so when we spent 10 years with Living Waters, Worldwide Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, which is all one word. And we became Anglocostals, yes. So Acts 2 is actually the birth of the church. In Acts 1, we're waiting for the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, he comes. It's the end of the old age. It's the beginning of the new age. And in the old age, the Spirit would come for a time, for a purpose, for a season perhaps. So Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel would say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So this, they were going to be given a task to do. Could have lasted for a while or maybe a little bit. And the Spirit would come and rest upon them, and they would do what they were called to do, but then the Spirit would leave. In the New Age, the Spirit comes and dwells within God's people. When you commit your life to Jesus Christ, you, are, you receive the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't go anywhere. It stays there forever. In the Old Age, we serve God out of fear of the law. And that's how it was. Am I doing it the right way? Am I wearing the right stuff? Is it the right thing? Am I cooking it the right way and offering it the right way and waving it the right way? Am I saying the right words? Am I in the right place? I just don't want to get in trouble. And that was an, always an element of it because they feared God. In the new age, we do what we do because we love Jesus Christ. I am motivated in what I do and say and think and feel out of my relationship with Jesus. And it's not because I'm afraid he's going to get mad at me or, or hurt me or punish me. I just, I just don't want to make him unhappy. I want to put a smile on his face, you know. And you, you, when you're operating out of love, it's different than when you're operating out of fear. And in the old age, it was more fear than love. And in the new age, there's more love than fear. And I'm hoping it's always that, you know. In Acts 2, we see the growth of the church in diverse and various cultures. And the barriers that divide us are broken down. There's no slave, there's no free, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no male or female. We're all one in Christ. In God's, in God's economy, the externals don't really matter. It doesn't matter what you look like or where you're born or how, what language you speak or how much money you make or where you live or what you do or what you drive. It just, it just doesn't matter. What matters is what's on the inside. Right? Um, our core identity as Christians should be, I'm a child of God. That's who we are. I'm a child of God. I'm a lot of other things. You know, I'm white, I'm a retired naval officer, I'm a priest, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, I'm an American, whatever. And all those things are important in one way or another, but that's not who I am. Who I am is a child of God. And that's what unites God's children. No matter where they live, what they look like, what language they speak. Because Pentecost actually reverses the Tower of Babel. Babel divided the people on the basis of language. Pentecost unites people by a central purpose and person without the need for a central place or a common language. Uh, Art Greenleaf is uh, someone who, he's a Baptist minister who faithfully, when he's in town, 
every Sunday at 8 o'clock. And he has dedicated his life to Wycliffe Bible Translators. And Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, if he's not here, he's usually in Borneo or someplace presenting a new Bible to somebody. Because what they do is there'll be a language, but there's no written language. And so they will go to a very remote place in the world, and they will spend, and I asked him this morning, he was sitting there, I said, how long will people spend? He said, 25 years and more in a remote part of the world where there's a spoken but no written language, and they create a written language in which to translate the Bible. Rather than say, you need to learn English. Here's your language. Amazing. Or I go to Africa. Uh, in Africa, you go and you go around to these, one of these little country churches, and it's packed with people sitting on a dirt floor. And I will typically say, uh, we don't have a lot in common. <laughs> we don't come from the same place. We don't look alike. We don't speak the same language. You know, all these differences. I said, but I have more in common with you than my neighbor down the street who doesn't know Jesus because you and I are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And that's what makes the most difference. That's how we are united. That's how we are connected. And they go crazy. They love that when you say that because it's so true. It's just, and I mean that when I say it's true that I don't have, you know, the person down the street that doesn't know the Lord versus somebody, I all these other things that are different than, I, than for me. But that connection is the most important thing. It is so nice to see you here, Deacon Karen. Yay. Yay. The text does not say that the coming of the Spirit happened as a result of the disciples praying or worshiping or fasting or after they had fulfilled some requirements. The time had come, and this is God's sovereign timetable at work. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and proclaimed, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this he had said about the spirit, which those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The timetable says when Jesus is glorified when he has risen from the dead and spent 40 days and then has ascended. That's the time when the Spirit was going to come back and not before. The 120 people were all in one place, and it says a sound like the rushing wind came upon them, the rushing of a mighty wind. There was no wind. It was the sound like a rushing mighty wind, but it was loud enough to get everybody's attention outside. It's just the sound, and this is where I'm going to get a little controversial. This was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the rushing of that wind when the, when the Spirit came. That was the baptism of the Holy Spirit because verse 2 that talks about the rushing of the wind is different than verse 4, which talks about the filling of the Spirit. They're two very different things. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is non-experiential. You may think that's surprising. When you came to faith in Christ and were justified, you didn't go, whoa, hey, that was justification. I just felt it. No, you didn't feel that. It's non-experiential. 
When you believed in Christ, you were placed into the body of Christ and were baptized into the Holy Spirit. You were baptized into the Holy Spirit when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Baptism means immersed, placed into the body of Christ. We have a new nature, out with the old, in with the new. We're born with a sin nature. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that is replaced by the Spirit. That's replaced by a new godly nature. Sin's, the sin nature is gone. doesn't mean you can't sin. It doesn't mean you... It doesn't mean you always live up to this new nature that you have, but it's a new nature. The baptism of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with the experience of the believer. Now, the filling in verse 4 is the experiential thing, and that's when they began speaking in other languages. And Pam, you did a wonderful job on those countries. That was very, very nice. And it's different in 1 Corinthians 14. That's what we... Um, Jeff read. That's what you call a prayer language. It's a language that is known basically to you. And Paul says there's a gift of tongues and a gift of interpretation of tongues. It's a prayer language. What That's in 1 Corinthians 14. In Acts chapter 2, it's a real language. I remember Jim Glennon was the um, canon at the cathedral in Sydney, Australia. And I uh, had a wonderful healing ministry. Regina Hoffman is actually doing a book study, right? Where's Regina? Uh, oh, right in front of me. All the red was blinding me. I was. And I uh, wrote a book called Your Healing is Within You. And he came into All Saints in Winter Park and did a um, healing ministry. Actually, we had a guy who was healed at ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Anybody ever know anybody healed of Lou Gehrig's disease? I know one. And Jim was in the, uh, the cathedral one day with a professor of lang uh, languages, a language professor. And there was a woman in there praying, and it got the professor's attention. And he went over to her when she was finished, and he said, where did you learn that language? And she said, I, I don't know. It's just how I pray. He said, that is an ancient Greek dialect that is no longer spoken. And that was her prayer language. Then there's other things that are different than that. But there's two kinds of things, a prayer language, and then in, in Acts chapter 2, this was a real language. So the filling of the Holy Spirit is something that happens after we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. For example, you remember Peter and John healed the man lame in the temple. It was on the, on the morrow... Their rulers and, and uh, elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. These are the same people that condemned Jesus to death. And when they had set them in the midst, meaning Peter and John, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a cripple, by what means this man has been healed, be it known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, 
by him this man is standing before you. He is, he is being filled with the Holy Spirit to give the words to speak in the face of the people who just crucified Jesus. Now he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's standing strong, and he's speaking truth to power. He's telling them the truth, and he could care less what happens to him because he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So the baptism happens once. This filling thing is ongoing. Filling happens when you are walking with Christ, yielding to Christ moment by moment. You've all heard of the 10-second rule. You know what that is. So I had another example of that not too long ago. So it was a prompting of the Holy Spirit. So let's see. Um, Bev and Regina, come on up. Bev is our local extrovert. So you're going to be the nurse leader. You're going to be the nurse leader since you are a nurse practitioner. You back up a little bit. I went to see somebody in the ICU this week. And I walked in, and the wife, whose husband is in the bed, was giving the nurse leader her a piece of her mind because of the way that she felt her husband had been treated. And I just said, well, I'll, I'll just stand over here. So now I'm out in the hallway, right, and I'm just listening to this. So you shake your finger at her, and you just nod. So I'm, I'm listening to this, and I hear the Holy Spirit say, stop this. Stop this. Now, he didn't say how I was to stop this. All I heard was, stop this. And so I said, okay. She gets it. You can go now. And that's how we did it. But it was a prompting of the Holy Spirit that said, Clear as a bell. Stop this. So it doesn't have to be something really dramatic. Um, I felt that way when we were talking to the city council a few weeks ago, that the people that were talking were filled with the Holy Spirit as they spoke. When we would leave, we're, when we were leaving the Episcopal Church, whether I was at a general convention or a diocesan convention or a board meeting or whatever it was, there were times when I felt there was one time in 2003, we were at a general convention in Minneapolis, and I got up to speak. And ahead of me is, is Bishop Bob Duncan. Behind me is Gene Robinson. Gene Robinson was the gay bishop that they were going to approve. And I turned around, and there was Gene. So I got up to the microphone. <laughs> I, said, I just said, in the immortal words of Judge Judy, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. And I went on from there, which earned me, earned me on social media the name Rain Man. <laughs> I'm still believing that was a spirit-driven moment in my life. So Friday, we had the graduation, right, over here in a tent. And then after that, we went to the country club for a dance and a dinner, and it was wonderful. These kids had not been together to do anything like that in a long, long time, over a year. No parties, no dances, no nothing. Right? So they're up there, and they're just going at it. And so Kathy and I are kind of sitting back here at a table. She says, we need to get up there. Get, we need to get up and dance with those kids. I go, yeah, right. She goes, no, we, we need to do that. I said, I'm not getting up there. I said, it's not even music. 
is that? It's not even music. And they're all, you know. And Kathy said, well, I'm going. So that settled it. We got up and went up to dance. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so I get up to the dance floor, and we just kind of went in, and we started to dance. And the kids went nuts because Father Don was up there dancing. And I, it, it also allowed me to show off some of my better dance moves that I had made. But that was a simple little spirit moment. Saturday morning, I get a phone call. I'm at home, and it's a, a person that I know, and, and somebody had broken into their home the night before and had pretty much been on a rampage and destroyed. Nobody got hurt, but a lot of destruction. And he asked me to come over and do a house blessing. So I did. And as I'm getting ready to leave, there's questions about the person who was arrested, but now are we going to press charges? What's going to happen to this person? You know, what? How does this all work? Da, 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 da. The Lord Spirit put in my mind two words, Adam Smith. I see Kelsey is here. Hmm? He's outside. Oh, with the baby. See, this is the Adam Smith I know. This is the Adam Smith with the baby or with, with, his, with his daughter, Selah, you know. But there's also another side to Adam Smith, and the Lord just put those two words in my head, Adam Smith. Adam is also works for the state attorney's office as a prosecutor. And I called him, and he answered right away, and I said, this is a little different phone call than you're normally used to getting from Father Don. And I told him what had happened, and I put him on the phone with this person, and Adam went through the whole thing and kind of answered his questions said, this is what's going to happen. This is where we are now. This is what happens next. And we'll all come together and might kind of figure out what we're going to do. And it was, again, a spirit moment of just Adam Smith. It didn't say, call Adam Smith, Adam Smith. So if you listen in certain situations, you're going to hear the Lord. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is positional. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is practical. My seminary story is, I call it a release of the Holy Spirit. We had a guy come and do a little seminar on the Holy Spirit, and, and people were talking in tongues and all this. And I said, oh, I want that, you know. So I went down. The next day, we'll come down at 7.30 in the morning in the bottom level of the seminary, and a whole bunch of people came around me and laid hands on me and prayed, and Kathy prayed, was one of them, sneaky wife that she is. And I, was, I had what I call a release of the spirit that was already within me. And I received a prayer language, which I hardly ever use. But Kathy will use it. If we're praying, if the two of us are praying with you, I'll be praying in English, and Kathy will be very silently praying in a prayer language. You know? And I have a prayer language. It kind of sounds like, like this. Um, it sounds, to me, it sounds like Ojibwe or something, some Indian Native American dialect. I don't use it very much. Uh, sometimes I do. I mean, sometimes if I'm up here by myself, I'll, I'll use it. But I'm normally, I don't. And that's fine. By the way, some people say you're not a Christian if you don't have a prayer language. That's nonsense. It's not biblical. It is one of the gifts. Others have, some have this, some have this, some have this. And he just read it. Jeff just read it this morning. And some have the gift of tongues. And some have the gift of the interpretation of tongues. It's not a, it's not a sign that you're a Christian. And normally, when, when, when Paul is um, listing the gifts, what's the last one he lists? Tongues. 
tongues are great. Tongues, tongues is a gift of the Spirit, but I think sometimes it's been re- elevated to a, a level that, it, that is not accurate. Um, Keith Barron came to Living Waters when we were over there. Uh, soon after we got there, he came. He was, had a healing ministry. He was going to come one Tuesday night. He came 29 weeks in a row. Kathy went the first night, and she really enjoyed it and said I needed to go, and I said, so I went anyway the next week, and I walked up that ramp, you know, and he was praying there, and he looked at me, and I fell down. He looked at me, and I was on the floor out like a light. Boom, slain in the spirit. I got up, and I went down to the front, and he did it again. He looked at me again, and I went down again. It's never happened to me since, by the way, all these years. It's never happened since, but, boy, did it happen that night. I went back and told the church what happened to me, and people started to go to that ministry, and a lot of healing took place. It was amazing. The Holy Spirit is, is real. The Holy Spirit is real. And more and more of us have experienced that, things like that. I think if you are, if you are walking in the Spirit, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to reflect the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the kind of um, persona, the way you act, think, feel what you say should reflect the fruit of the Spirit. Those, those nine things, that should be who we are. doesn't always work that way, but it should be what we're striving for as we interact, as we, as we encounter circumstances in life that we don't like, like that. You know, how can I be a Spirit-filled agent of Christ even when I'm sitting in a wheelchair? I can be thankful that I'm here. You know, and there's a big smile on your face because of that. You know, you could be saying, "I want to get up and walk and put weight on it." Now, how come, how come I can't drive? And I like this. And I'm like, but luckily, you're a very sedentary person who doesn't do much. <laughs> so it just kind of fits right in with. That is so not true. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just for some super saints. Some people think it's super saints. It's anybody who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm praying, I'm praying, praying, praying for another Pentecost worldwide. As the, as the sun seems to be setting in the West in many places, boy, is it rising in, in places like Africa. You're going to see that in a minute. So keep praying for the light to overcome the darkness. Keep praying for God's power and God's people to rise up and, and be God's people, you know. And uh, there's wonderful things happening out in California right now with Mario Murillo and his tent ministry that he's got. Thousands of people coming to faith. Miracles of healing are happening with very unlikely people, you know, people you wouldn't expect. Drug dealers, gang members, people like that are coming. And, boy, is it amazing, just amazing. Um, <clears throat> I want to do something I've never done before. And this is a refresher for a lot of people. So I'm going to ask you to stand and repeat after me the sinner's prayer. You can sit. You don't have to stand. And I, I and again, I, I was just thinking about this last night, and the Spirit prompted me to say, do the sinner's prayer at the end of this. So if you just repeat after me, dear God, 
I know I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my Savior and follow him as Lord from this day forward. Guide my life and help me to do your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Please sit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here.
wanted to mention also um, the dance on Friday night at the Country Club. Kathy and I left about 9, and I ran into somebody that stayed till the end, and I said, what time did it end? He said, midnight. They didn't want to stop. The kids didn't want to stop. And he said, but the end, all the parents and all the kids were out on the dance floor with their arms around each other, singing at the top of their lungs, we believe. That's a good that's a good thing. Amen.